times can you say thank you, which we are, we're overwhelmed. Um, you know, I, it seems like yesterday when I came here for the first time and Dale Wyeth gave me a tour and Mark and Jeannie Chaffin were sitting right over here and we were facing that way and I got to meet them and we became longtime friends after all that, years and years. It was in May of 92 that we came here. And it was in December, this uh, right around this weekend, that we uh, were put in as pastors. And um, uh, <clears throat> you want to say something? Go ahead. I'll, I'll finish, but go ahead. Are you okay? Yeah, I am. Um, yes, uh, just a heart full of gratitude. And not just today, but, I mean, every week, um, every day, we wake up and we say, thank you, God, for what we get to do today. Yeah. And... Um, and for calling us, I mean, you know, it's just like the beginning of the, this year. Who knew that we were going to buy a farm? We didn't know. But who knew 25 years ago that, I mean, we knew we were moving to Michigan. But I was told we were done pastoring. So, you know, who knew that we would, and who knew this church was here? God knew. Yeah. God knew he had it on his radar, and he's the one that calls and um, although you guys, those that were here, confirmed it, um, but he's the one that called, and I would have never thought in a thousand years that this is where we would have ended up, but God, yeah. who is yeah. rich in his mercy toward us, and he has been. And so thank you all for your faithfulness. Thank you for the years of love that you, but you know, as, I, as we were standing here today worshiping, I was thinking about the greatest gift that I believe that any congregant can give to their pastors are to live out yeah. the sayings of Christ. Yes. That's the greatest gift. Yeah. And so seeing several of you come up today and hug us and, and, I mean, and looking at some of you, I mean, Mark and Jeannie, who, have, who believed in us and trusted us. And, you know, I mean, this was, this was their, as you learned in September, this was their baby. And yet they believed in us and trusted us enough. And, and they saw something that maybe we didn't even see. And, but then also to see some of these, um, Rhonda, who now has two children, married and has two children. And to see Dakota, who's married, you know, to Kara, and who would have ever thought that he would find such a lovely wife. What does that Spoil, mean? Well, he was a spoiled brat. That's what he was. If I do say so myself. You know. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, talk about spoiled brats. I mean, I got my own son who's here today, and he's given us three wonderful children, and he married a local girl. I mean, but I tell her all the time because she would say, oh, yeah, that's my cousin. Oh, yeah, that's my uncle. Oh, yeah, that's... I said... God had to bring an outsider in from Ohio for you to marry because, you know, there's just, there was no relative around, you know, you were late, related to everybody. So, um, but just to see what God has done and to watch these kids grow up and now have children and now they're in some of, some of their children are having children also. But so it's, it's been a good journey. Amen. Just to, just to add, um, you know, uh, wrapping up the, um, you can't do anything awesome in life without help. That's just the way it is. And it's the people that are around you. My wife, first of all. And, uh, you know, who is who 
who hears everything unedited and um, everything. How many of you know you say stuff, then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, and later on in your life? I learned over the years, he would say, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and so then he'd come home from a meeting, and I'd say, yeah, so how'd that go? Well, the Holy Ghost, and so I learned just to wait, just to let him get it out of his system, and then just wait for the Holy Ghost to speak, and then, yeah. And that Chuck and Carrie have been with us for 25 years, working together together and um you know they i mean there's very little we don't know about each other through the years that you know they've seen me at my worst my best i've seen them at their worst their best and you know you go through a lot so that team to be together that's really unheard i mean that's really unheard of in most churches you never see anybody that's worked together that many years and uh or a pastor that stayed in a place that long and uh but that's because of the people that we partner with here and Thank you guys make that happen, um, and we are we're we're honored, we're humbled, we're planning on late fall next year sometime to look at our to go on our Mediterranean trip. Uh, it's an educational trip where we learn in the mornings um, about where we're going, and then we get off the boat and go basically on shore, and they walk us through the get historical. Off the boat. Get off the boat, yeah. A ship. A ship. Sorry. <laughs> And uh, so we're, look, we're, we're, we're excited about that, uh, you know, and all of that coming. So thank you for every penny that any of you gave. And uh, we know that everybody couldn't come up today, but we know that the love that you have, you've told us that over time, and we're just so uh, grateful. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I also wanted to just mention, too, before we jump into this, is that we have two veterans here today. Okay. And the first I want to honor is Elisha Olgin, who's here today. Who's stand up, up, buddy? Amen. Amen. Elisha. Elisha finished his last tour of duty, and uh, and uh, serving this country. And uh, so he is uh, he is now seeking employment while he's here. And uh, so if you need a hard worker, and you pay good wages. Good benefits. Yeah, yeah. He's a good. He'd be a great candidate. And uh, but thank you for your service, son. We yeah, really appreciate you. it, and uh, everything that you've done for our country and the sacrifices that you have made. You know, for him to be here today uh, is a miracle because I mean, an IUD took their vehicle out uh, several years ago, and it could have taken his life out. And uh, he's got praying parents. And uh, that stand with him and thank God for it. And so we're just so grateful. Uh, he's had to battle through a lot of stuff and he's done it and he hasn't given up. And, uh, but uh, he's, doing, he's doing awesome. I also just want to honor Dr. Lynn Hood. Dr. Hood, if you'd stand up. Not everybody knows who you are. Amen. And Dr. Hood is a veteran of the kingdom. He's been preaching the gospel for a long time, but he really partnered with our church to help uh, me become a better pastor. And uh, so a lot of the strategic leadership information that I use in our ministry and in our lives, uh, I learned from Dr. Hood. He's been a mentor to me uh, in those aspects, and I'm just as grateful for his. uh, He just happened to be with us this weekend from Florida. It was 81 when he left, and uh, so we hate him. But, you know, uh, but anyways. Suffering for Jesus Yeah. We're here by choice, right? Amen. We're here in Michigan because we're tougher than the rest of the country. So, amen. So, anyways, but uh, thank you, Dr. Hood, for your love for this ministry and for all that you've done here. 
uh, as well. All right, we're going to get in our teaching. We're probably not going to get through all this, but we'll recap it. But we're going to do it quickly. Um, Just to re- kind of just recap what we went over last week. We're doing this series called This Is Us. How many of you have ever seen the series on TV called This Is Us? And, uh, and of course, it's about a family that is dysfunctional. How many of you come from a dysfunctional family? Everybody raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care who you are. You did. And uh, so um, we decided we'd like to do a family uh, uh, series sometime throughout the year. And last year we did one together. We enjoyed it so much. I, we don't know if you did, but we like doing it together. Yeah. This is the only time we really work well together. Um, but so. <laughs> but um, so. I told you she's hard to get along with. So. So last week we talked about the perfect fit, meaning that God has. The perfect fit for you. Yes. And if you are married, you are with that perfect fit. Yeah. Don't be looking around going, there's somebody else out there, I right. know. Right. Because there isn't. This is the best yeah. that God has for you. And so um, we talked about that first you need to be friends. Okay? And, and one of the assignments was you were to go on a date. How many of you went on the date with your spouse? Okay. Oh, wow. Low, low, low. Okay. You, need, you got some catching up to do. Find a date night. It's important that you get a date Absolutely. night. Absolutely. The other thing is that you be um, uh, the I. Intimate. Intimacy. Oh, yeah, Thank of course. Thank you, Dara. <laughs> Thank you, Dara. Intimacy. So not, not, that doesn't just have to do with sex. It's that you're being transparent. It's that you're being, you know, you're, 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 you're laid open. Yes. You're, you're bare naked. And, again, yeah. that's not physical. That's also in the soul. So being a friend, you, you know, you transition into intimacy. And then the last one was transparency, that you, that you learn to be transparent with one another. So today we're going to talk about situational parenting. Um, because as a couple, unless there's something um, physically wrong with you, but then also you can adopt. So, you know, most people do have children. Um, but as you come as a couple, you transition into parenthood. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You remember seeing that one picture of him in this very same outfit, sitting at that desk? Same tie. Same I actually tie. have the same. My hair years. is different, but yeah. my tie is okay, the same. Okay, so notice the hair is a little bit different. I don't this throw came, stuff away. So. This came after children, okay? So, um, but so situ- situational parenting. I have a scripture I want to read to you out of Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. If you want to look that up or if you want to write, take a note, you are going to want to take notes also. Um, this is out of the Message Bible. It says, don't you see that children are God's best gift? And all the parents said. Amen. The fruit of the womb, his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a, vi- of, of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you, are you parents with your quivers full of children. So as we talk about situational parenting, let me define what situational is. It's of reading to or appropriate to. So, you know, as, as a parent, you, you know, hopefully you read to your children as they were young and as they got older, you read different. So when we first start reading to our kids, our grandkids, you know, as they're babies, we're reading, we're not even reading books. We're looking at picture books. But then as they got older, got, got a, a little bit older, they, they, wanted to, they wanted words. 
with those picture books. And then as they got into kindergarten, they were learning to read. They wanted more words. And now they read to us. Right. So situational, reading to, or appropriate to. So pastor's going to go through, um, through, through a few things um, that, that are on the back of that sheet. If you got one of those sheets, if you didn't, you need to raise your hand because you're going to want to look at this as we transition through. What situ- no more? Okay. okay, well, there's some of these ones right there's here. There's some of just the regular ones. There you go. And for those that of you who are online, Jeff, is there a way that we can put that online, the form that you handed out today? On the Facebook page On the later a- today. Amazing yeah. Grace Facebook page, page so that those of you that are online, you can get a copy of that too. Um, so as he transitions, as he goes through this, as he talks about each, each um phase of a child's life, each phase of your life, you're going to want to take notes and you're going to want to um, listen up really good. So, okay, so two train of thoughts here. The successful person, the unsuccessful person. The successful person always says, I will learn how to do this. The unsuccessful person says, I can't do it. Those are two trains of thought you're always going to have to deal with in your life. Because there are a lot of things... Nobody knows how to be a parent. Nobody. You'll try to parent the way your parents parented you, which may or may not be right. Or, or you don't parent right. the way that your parents. Or you may grandparent the way that your grandparents. You know, if you're a grand, My grandmother, she was awesome. When I stayed at her house, I was guaranteed six eggs and a pound of bacon in the morning. Love going to grandma's house, that's for sure. Peanut butter cookies on top of the refrigerator, homemade. I mean, she was awesome. But uh, we don't do that with our grandkids. It's, we want them to live a long life, okay? So, and that is definitely not going to do that. So, but, but see, the thing is, is that sometimes we as parents or grandparents, and even in life, we get, we face, everybody's going to face difficulty. And if you just say, well, that, I can't do it. You're flat out wrong. You're going to be unsuccessful. If you want to be successful, you have to say, well, I'm going to learn how to do that. You know, you take people that are out there that are successful in business, they're successful in whatever industry that they're involved in, what they always say to themselves is, I may not know how to do that now, but I will learn how to do that. I will study, I will read, I will get online. And you know, today, look, you can Google anything, right? So, uh, you know, I will find a way to be able to do it. So, as a parent or a grandparent, when you face difficulties in your life and you're facing challenges and you're going to, you can't just go, I give up, that's it, I throw in the towel. One is, you got little guys and gals that are looking to you for leadership and for guidance and for wisdom, and so you're going to have to find, uh, you're going to have to learn how to do it. I ask, the number one way that you learn is by asking questions. I always believe that the answer isn't the power, the question's the power. The fact that you asked a question will help you far more than that you just had the answer. You know, when we're seeking, we'll find. When we're knocking, the door will be opened. Anybody remember this passage? Right? So what we have to do is make sure that we're always seeking, we're always knocking, and we're always asking because we want to learn. My pastor, he'll, he, we had dinner with him this last week at our house, and, and uh, you know, he, he jokes when he comes here to the church, but he's serious that... 
I mean, I, I asked him, I followed him at my own expense to find out because I wanted to know. I wanted to learn. I wanted to know about parenting. I wanted to know about being a good husband. I wanted to know about how to pastor a church. I wanted to know all these things. The only way that is ever going to happen isn't just because you're conclu- coming to your own conclusions. It's because you're asking the right questions of successful people. Okay, successful people. So successful people, they are the kind of people that say, I will learn. I may not know how to do it now. You know, I'll say stuff. I used to say stuff like, I'm not good with money. Well, I need to learn how to be good with money. See, that's me defaulting out and say, I can't be good with money. You know, I'm a free spirit. Sharon's a nerd, uh, if you've done the Dave Ramsey course. So, you know, it causes conflict in our lives. I had to learn to be more like a nerd. So I started hanging around some nerds. Mark Chaffin is a nerd. I'm sorry, but if you know Mark Chaffin, I mean, that guy's so tight he squeaks. I mean, you don't, he's not blowing cash out the window. He's a giver, he's a, he's a faithful man, and he takes care of his finances. So you, you only are going to learn how to do that by being around people that do it. So when we talk about parenting and we talk about grandparenting, we feel we've had a measure of success in our lives with this, but... We also realize that it is an ongoing learning process, okay? So don't ever sit in a service and go, well, we failed as parents. We have totally failed. We're terrible. We are not good. We, you know, we blew that. There's plenty of things Sharon and I blew, but we learn through those situations about how to, uh, how to become better parents. And so um, did you have anything you wanted to add with that? You're good. Okay, so you have that paper in front of you. I want to talk to you about situational parenting, all right? Uh, children uh, develop, and this applies to grandchildren, children, they develop, they don't develop all at once, right? You know that. Their brain doesn't develop all at once either. And uh, actually, it's a, uh, bi- biologically, they say that a, a person's brain is not fully developed till they're 22 years old, okay? So if you're under 22, I mean, we're not saying you're, you're not altogether there yet, but we're just saying that your brain's going to continue to develop. Most of us learn how to work when we are born. We learn to work out of the basic elements of our brain, which is in the amygdala, which is basically how to survive. God put that there, that we have that. It's this back part of the brain. The frontal part of the brain is the one that continues to develop. So that frontal cortex, that frontal lobe, excuse me, is where we learn how to choose what's right or wrong. That's where we make decisions at. That's where we do critical thinking at. That takes a long time to develop. So you need to recognize this as parents. For example, you do not have to teach your kids to lie. Did, you, did anybody have? No, no, here's what you do when you're caught doing something wrong. This is what I want you to do. Right? You didn't have to teach them to do that. You didn't have to teach them to steal. You know, some parents are like, oh, my kids stole. They're so bad. They're wicked. No, they're just kids. They're surviving. Well, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says rebellion is in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will will drive that out. Now, whatever that rod of correction is, that's your way of discipline for them. But so, yeah, so God already told us rebellion is in the heart. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why we needed Jesus. Hello. Yes. Without Jesus, we're still in rebellion. Okay. So every kid is born in rebellion. Right, and they and you and it'll carry out because that's all part of that survival, that's that survival nature, that survival instinct. 
It's your responsibility as a parent or a grandparent to help them determine what's right and wrong. They're not going to just sort this out themselves. So when we talk about situational parenting, what we have a responsibility to do is to say, that's bad, this is good, because they're not able to make that determination yet. So what we do is we help them to be able to do this. Now, I'm not a child behavior psychologist or anything like that. I just, I've just done a lot of research on this and, of course, with my own personal experience. So if you have that chart in front of you, you'll notice on it that it says the four leadership styles, and these are the four ways that you lead in your home. You'll notice on the left side of the boxes there it says supportive behavior. That's a high relational supportive behavior. On the bottom is directive behavior, which is basically a lot of instruction, okay? When you move on the grid here, if you look at the boxes, S1 is down here at the bottom, and there's a lot of directive behavior with S1, but there's not as much supportive behavior, okay? Everybody see that on their paper? At this level, you're pretty much talking about your kids under nine years old. Girls tend to develop, they, they, they step out of, uh, um, they move into puberty at not, as early as nine years old. Uh, boys, usually between 11 and 12, they'll start moving into puberty. But before that, your responsibility as a parent is to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Not to worry about whether they are figuring it, whether they... Because they believe you. They believe what you tell them. You know, if you tell your kids there's a Santa Claus, guess what? They believe there's a Santa Claus. And till, till one day, you know, till some day that they'll determine that that's not true. But, or, there's no kids in here. Are you okay? Yeah. You know, if you tell them there's a tooth fairy, they believe there, there's a tooth fairy that's going to put a quarter under their pillow for their tooth, Right? Hey, it's not my fault you're giving them too much. It's, I'm just telling you. That tooth's only worth a quarter. How much do you give I give $5 your... to my grandkids. But look, the grandkids are different. They're different than your kids, right? <laughs> but so at this age, you're, you're not so concerned of whether your kids like it or not, or even if they understand it. When you say don't touch the stove, you mean don't touch the stove. Why? Because you're the parent, right? And you don't say, well, go ahead and touch the stove and you'll figure out you shouldn't touch the stove. That's bad parenting. Go play in the road until you figure out there's cars coming. That's bad parenting, okay? Good parenting is, say, if you go out in the road again, I'm going to swat your backside here. You are not going out in that road again. Mommy and daddy. So at this stage, this is what you have permission to say. You do what I say because I because I said so. Well, what if they don't agree to it? You're the parent. I don't care if they agree or not. And, and what, what if they want an explanation? At this age, no explanation necessary. Well, because there's no explanation that you can give that's going to oh, pacify. No. Oh, no, right. Okay, yeah, but why? But why? But that's what you're going to hear. So, I mean, you can try to explain, but it's not going to suffice. There's no answer that you can give. And in this S1, so perfect example, I mean, he gave an example of running out in the road or touching a stove, and I'm pretty sure there's no parents in here that would let their kids do that, I hope. But here's, here's an example, okay? And 
at some age, whenever they're old enough to understand, go to your room and pick up your toys. Okay, telling a two-year-old, go to your room and pick up your toys, no. You've got to now come along the side of them and support them. So high telling or high directive and high support. So what do we do? We go into the room. We show them. This is where we sing a song. Everybody clean up, clean up, clean up. You guys don't sing that song with your kid? Okay. Or, you know, this is the way we pick up our toys or whatever. So high telling and high support. So we're coming along the side of them and we're helping them learn this. And so age appropriate, you know, as they get older, you know, when our, my, our grandkids would come to the house, they wanted to help me do the dishes. I didn't say, oh, great, you want to do dishes? And I went in and did something else. No, I stood there with them as they stood on the chair with an apron on, and they got soaked from top to bottom, and I showed them, this is how we do dishes. Right. right. So high support. No, low support. Low, I'm sorry, low support and high telling. Yeah, so there's that's where you just have to be the parent. I mean, and, and so... That means we're going to church, not would you like to go to church. We're going to church, okay? So go get your clothes on, get your room cleaned up, and get down here and eat breakfast because we're going. You don't have options that would you like to eat right now? Would you like to, you know, would you like to go to bed? When would you like to go to bed? In our home, now this is the way we did our house. I'm not telling you you have to do this, but we told our kids would be in bed by 8.30 at night. One, we needed a break from them. You know, now I'm not talking when they're teenagers, but I'm just saying when they were younger, you know, we would say, hey, it's it's getting 8 o'clock. It's time to get ready for bed. Uh, you guys, you know, you need to head up. We never let them stay up till 10 o'clock uh, or 11 o'clock yes, ever. In this box. Especially school we year. We did not. During the school year. Yeah, in this box, no. So when you're working with younger kids, like I said, before puberty, you just tell them what to do. They'll believe what you tell them, but you've got to be consistent about what you tell them because when you are not consistent with your children, they don't believe you're telling the truth. Okay? So they just don't believe it. They, they, you got to set, I like I, one of the quotes I used, uh, I don't know if Jeff put this in the notes, but Albert Schweitzer said, example is not the main thing in influencing other, it's the only thing. So, you know, everybody could be great for a day. Right? You can work out for a day. You can eat right for a day. You can be a great parent for a day. But what you consistently do and what you consistently say, toys get put up every night before you go to bed. You know, you're telling them what to do. Because this will directly influence what's going to happen in the next box, okay? So we're going to move from this box now. Now our kids hit puberty. They're 9 years old, 10 years old as a girl. They're 12 years old, 11 years old as a boy. I know i got to hurry up. Um, we'll probably only get this far, so we'll just have to pick the rest of this up next time. But at this stage, what has to what has to happen is is that now, if you look at the boxes, we go from just telling. Now we're telling and supportive. Okay, so we're still giving instruction about what needs to be happening, but we're much more supportive. We're explaining why we be why we do these things. Now, when I say explaining why. I'm not saying that it's taking from our authority. We need them to begin to formulate thinking about why this is important. All right? So that's part of that frontal lobe development. So what we want to do with our children is is that as they're moving into those teenage years, we're wanting to have our same rules and instruction, but we want a higher relationship. Dr. Hood shared this with us yesterday. Um, 
that rules without relationship create rebellion. That's worth writing down. Rules without relationship create rebellion. If you look at the church for years, had a ton of rules, but no relationship with God, guess what? People didn't follow the rules. They just got rebellious, okay? So what we have to do is have high relationship, high you know, high telling here because that teenager is trying to develop the idea of why this is important. Now you can have a dialogue with them. So they're like, well, why do I have to have a curfew? Well, here's why you need to have it. What what I would do now in retrospect is I would say, why don't you think you should have a curfew? What would be a good curfew you would like? And it's okay to ask those questions, not because you're compromising, but because what you're trying to do is to get them to understand. And I think one of the things that Sharon and I really goofed up on this one with is is that we never really got our kids to understand why they had faith. Their faith was our faith. You know, when they became teenagers, look, and you're still going to tell a teenager, you're going to church, all right? So there's no, no option here. But... We never really talked with them why it was important to go. We just assumed because they saw us going and because we made them go that it would somehow get in their head. Their youth pastor would tell them or, you know, so when you ask a teenager, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And they say, yeah. And, And you say, well, why? Why do you believe that? Well, because mom and dad, I go to church. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? What does that look like? What is that? Do you see what I'm saying now? You're making them think about it. And this is going to be so vital because if they get off to college and we haven't worked through all that with them, then everybody in the world, their friends, their professors, that some of them that are just totally anti-God, not all of them. Thank God we got Jeannie here as a totally on fire for God professor. But, you know, you're going to have people telling them what to believe. And if they haven't sorted out what they believe, then they can't critically think about things. And so if it's still, you know, well, you're going to church because mom and dad, because I said so, instead of working through the process with them, you still tell them that that's what we're going to do. You just, you're building, you're supporting them. You're helping them think through it now, develop their own faith. So a great, a great scripture to go with that in the Old Testament, it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. Why? Because they did not have and they did not honor their relationship with God. So because of that, they did what was right in their own eyes. And as a result, you have, you have chaos. And so, so agreeably, I mean, we just in the last few years have we come to realize, wait a minute we didn't do this with our kids. And so we're making sure now we have grandkids. And I've always told God, God, just give me my grandkids. I'll take them and do better with them. Right. You know, than what I did with my kids. But, you know, but in the end, one of one, a great program to get, um, and you can go, you can Google this, find it. And you could probably watch some excerpts of it on YouTube. It's called the truth project, the truth project. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole series, I don't know, there's like 14 lessons in it, on apologetics. And the guy who does it, the professor that does it, it is awesome. And I think they even have one for college appropriate and for um, high school age. But it teaches them how to think critically about their relationship with God. Because this is, this is so, so important. You think, well, work ethic's important. It is important. Work ethic is vitally important. But their relationship with God is so much more important 
then it, because you know what? Then the rest of that will come. Right. The, the work ethic will come. The money will come. How to handle money. You need to be an example on how to handle their money. You know, how to handle your money. You handle your money right, they'll handle their money right. Right. Um, if right. you work hard, they'll work hard. But their relationship, that is something that's totally, they have to come to understand this isn't mom and dad's religion. This isn't mom and dad. My mother used to say, God does not have grandchildren. Right. And I used to think, to her, of course he doesn't. Now I get it. Right. You know, so explaining to your kids or having that conversation with them about why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Why is that? Who was Jesus? Yeah. It's just, it's just an important conversation to have. And I know in our home, like when our kids became teenagers, not so much with Greg, but, but with our daughters, there were a lot of arguments and it came down to just telling them, this is what you will believe. And had I known better at the time, I would have done a much better job of helping them sort through that and listen to what they're trying to say. Because, listen, if your teenager's talking to you, you should shout that they're talking to you. <laughs> you should be so glad because they're saying stuff to you. They're talking to you. And if they're, you know, don't go, well, you need to, you know, really, you need to go talk to your youth pastor about that. Don't do that. You're their youth pastor, okay? I mean, we're grateful for our youth pastors here in the church, but you're, go talk to Pastor John. No, you talk with them. Get them to explain to you where they're at. Because, you know, if, I, if you called me on the phone and said, I'm lost, right? My first question is going to be, when your kids is in that teenage, moved into puberty, moved, out, moved into puberty, you need to find, locate where they're at. They're sorting things out. Whether you know it or not, they're sorting things out. So you need to dialogue with them about it. And don't, don't get frazzled if they say something that you don't agree with, okay? That's where you come back with more questions. You ask them more questions about it. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, friend of mine, and are they in authority? Where did they get that information? Well, that's what, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Because you're making them think through this process. And that's part of becoming an adult, Right? Because that's really our goal is, is to create stable, solid adults. And uh, so to do that, this is very, very important. Now, if you notice on that grid, this one takes the most time. Because you're high support, high telling, you're going to be very involved. And you're, it's going to seem like you think it was tough dealing with them when they were being bottle fed and you had to get up in the middle of the night and all. This is when it gets really intense because for your time, because you're going to have to come alongside them. I remember a couple of times, um, and uh, if you've had daughters, you probably, you, you might get, know about this, but I can remember my daughters coming home crying, just, you know, something had happened at school, and, you know, uh, my, you know, my dad, basically, his, he was military, his response was, suck it up, boy, get it together, you could, well, my daughters, you know, when they're crying, I want to say to them, Sharon, <laughs> This is your department. But you know what? They came to me. They came to me about it. That means they're looking for something that only I can give them. All right? So that's when I had to sit down with them and I and had to talk with them through it. And sure, I saw things that, you know, that weren't right that they were saying and that they were doing when we were in this conversation. And, you know, and, I, and, and then I did talk with them. I said, you know, God calls us to forgive. And, and you know, you really should think about forgiving because this thing's just going to fester in your life if you don't. And, but I didn't sit there and say, okay, now pray this prayer with me. 
right? And like we've learned, and I'm go- I'll ha- we'll have to wrap up, but we've like learned as your kids grow older, the less you need to tell them what to do. So when your kids are telling you about a problem they're dealing with, can I just speak on their behalf? Don't say, well, what I'd do or what you need to do. Because if they didn't ask you for advice, don't give advice. Maybe they just need you to listen to them. Maybe all they really needed was for you just to stop and say, hey, you know what, I'll be praying for you as you're working through this. Or, you know, and if they say, and my kids have said, what do we do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. And we said, well, you know, here's some things, you know, sometimes what we say is, what would you like to do? kill them, you know, I mean, uh, that's what I want to do. Well, see, that's more about you and your anger and frustration than that is about them because they're just being kids because that's what they are. Amen. So I just, I really feel like today, like one of the things that we just want to wrap up with this morning, like I said, we just digging, um, digging into the edges of this. We have, we did teach the whole thing Thursday night, so you can go on online. It's online. And uh, it's in the media, right? Yeah. I think, Greg, it's in the AGC media. Media? Thanks. And uh, so the whole thing is there. So, yeah, we, we finished it. We, you know, trauma in a person's kid's life can set them back maturity level. It can take a teenager to a lower level where you're back to telling again. It can take a supportive role. Trauma does that. Trauma can happen a lot of different ways in a kid's life. And look, if I mention something that's going on in your life, we, we get this, okay? So we're not being critical. We're just, we're just trying to help you. Divorce can set kids back. Another baby coming into the home can set kids back. My one, one of my kids was totally potty trained. When we had another baby, they reverted totally back to where they were at before. We lost all that training that we had done. So we had to rework through that because what's happening to them is, is that they're, they're dealing, they're, they're trying to work out what they're feeling at that moment. And you got to help them sort, sort through that behavior. One of the things the enemy really tries to do to people, try to do to kids, especially, and it sometimes even carries into adulthood, is to throw an orphan spirit on them where they all of a sudden just go totally into survival mode. You know, people say, what's an orphan spirit look like? Well, it, it's abandonment, but it's how you respond to abandonment, feeling like you're alone. And so when a child feels like that they have been orphaned or they've been abandoned, what they respond, and whether that's through divorce, sometimes it happens through abuse that has happened to them. Abuse can set a person back in maturity level big time. And so we need to be sensitive to those kinds of things, understanding, but also create a plan to be able to help them come out of that as well. And the orphan spirit is such a, ter- is such a difficult thing to get rid of because it involves self-sympathy, self-pity, but it also kicks a person totally into that amygdala where they're in survival mode. And all they're going to do is hit the basic instincts, stealing, lying. Now, I don't know, I won't have any of our people testify, but those who have gone through adopting children, if those kids have had behavior where they've moved from house to house for a while, they will have behaviors that they've already developed. Nobody developed them in their lives. They've developed them because they feel like alone, abandoned. So they're in survival mode. Here's the things you, we've got to do. Number one, the greatest power you have is prayer. And I mean it. I'm, I'm absolutely serious about this. When my daughter started adopting little kids, 
the first thing I made sure that we did was we got our hands on them and we said we take the authority over any... Because see, even though they're adopted, they're our kids now. You understand what I'm saying? They're ours and they're their, hers. So we started taking authority over that. We said, in Jesus' name. I can remember holding one of the babies up and just saying, Lord, I take authority over this the orphan spirit. This child will not feel abandoned. This child will not feel like it's been left alone. This child will not be in its basic instincts. This child will thrive and grow and develop and become a whole normal person. Okay? Now look, if you're seeing that in your kids, whether it's just because of stuff, the number one thing you have is the power of prayer. Okay? Now let me just advise you on this. If you have a teenager that's dealing with this, do not grab them and start praying for them. Okay? Today. Silent prayer works great too, okay? <laughs> you have authority no matter what in the spirit realm, so don't, don't put yourself in a situation that's going to create a problem. But, but you've, got, you've got to realize the real power of prayer. And Sharon and I, we have real compassion about this. You know, these, we, we understand both of us in our lives have been abandoned. We have. We've dealt with the trauma of it and how it affected our lives, how that it tries to resurface in adulthood, and how that you have to learn to face that that giant. And uh, so we, we just want to encourage you today, if, if you're dealing with that or you're dealing with that in your children in any way, there's hope. Don't, don't give up. Right. So another good scripture is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where Paul's telling the church, listen, you were once like this, but now you have been adopted... Uh-huh. Into the kingdom of God, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, we all experience orphan spirit uh, symptoms. I don't care if you came from the best parent. You're like, my parents were the best, man. They loved me. They sent me off to college. They gave me money. They they provided for me. I felt secure. Listen, we all have an orphan spirit that wants to pop up in some way or matter, no matter, no matter what. Because, this is the thing, we are human. And so in my humanness, I make mistakes. In my humanness, I don't parent the way that God instructed me to parent. And so in my, and and, and the same with my parents. They did not, you know, parent me wholly the way that God had instructed. There's no human being on the face of the earth that does that. That's why we needed the Father God. That's why we needed, Jesus came. Born, born on this earth, born of a virgin Mary, the the son of the father God, the son of the father God, the perfect father, the one who could love the way that nobody else could love. Right. The one who loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross. For you, in all of your mess, he did that. That is the love of the Father. Paul also tells us that, or maybe it was Jesus that said it, I don't know, I get them both confused at times, that, you know, hey, listen, which one of you would give your child a serpent instead of a, and Jesus said that. You know, which one of you would give your child a serpent instead of a piece of bread? How much more than your heavenly Father? Come on loves you. So if you're sitting here here today and you're like, but I have abandonment issues. I have things that I'm dealing with. I have I have I have walls. I have 
I have obstacles that I need to overcome. I'm telling you, it's just like I said last week. Without getting before the Father God and running into his arms and saying, Father, Abba, Daddy. Yeah. You're the only one. Come on. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what's wrong with me. But I trust you. Yes. I trust you. And I know that you can fix it. And I know that you, this is, this is the word that God gave me. God was, God is, and he always will be Amen. there for you. Yes. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yeah. Let's all stand up. There are, um, there are three baptisms that Jesus experienced in scripture. One was the baptism in water. We're familiar with that. John the Baptist baptized him in water in the Jordan. The second was when he was baptized in the Spirit, when the Spirit descended on him like a dove. But the third one is the one we don't talk about enough, we really need to talk about more in the church, and that's the baptism of absolute acceptance. And it was when his disciples were gathered with him, the Father made a declaration over him that everybody could hear. This is my loved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, you, I get today that there are those of us here that maybe our dad never told us that. Maybe our mom never told us that. And can I tell you that even if they did tell you that today, it wouldn't make a difference because it's not going to fix anything. That thing has run too deep. It's now a spiritual issue. That the only way to fix that in our lives is for the father to baptize us in that same love and acceptance and that he is pleased with you so I just I don't know how could he be I mean I don't know how would he be pleased with look you're his kid and he is well pleased to have you in his family and so this morning I just as we wrap up here today I want to pray for you I'm going to pray that if this thing has tried to latch onto your life or in your household, uh, that you're just baptized in the loving presence of the Father. Maybe you've never heard about that. Maybe we don't talk about it enough in the church. But there is a baptism of love, and it's just as real as your baptism in water. And it's, it's just that moment in your life where you come to the complete realization that the Father absolutely is in love with you and that he is well-pleased having you in his family. And to make the declaration that you are his. In, so, the, in, the, in the book of us, the Song of Solomon, it says this. I am my beloved, and he is mine, and his banner over me, we used to sing, is love. That's what the Father sees over you. Bow your heads with me, if you would. And online, too, if you want to join us in prayer. Father God, I just believe today that you're touching lives, Lord. There's so much love in this place. But it's not human love, Lord God. It's a love that comes from the Spirit. We know, Lord God, that real love generates out of the Spirit. It is not some just emotional feeling, Lord God. It is something that this recognition of love, that the one that loves us would be willing to do everything they could, even lay down their life because of the love that they have for us. Lord, as we stand before you today, we know that's the love you have for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What great love 
he has shown to us. And Father God, I pray today because I just sense that deep need. Lord, as it says in the Psalms, Lord, that deep calls to deep. My deep need calls out to your deep love. God, I need that love in my life. I need that acceptance in my life. Lord, I see how that that confidence and boldness and clarity and everything that I need to do in my future, Lord God, is dependent upon me knowing that I am loved and I am accepted by you. Man may reject me, but you will never reject me. Man may abandon me, but you will never abandon me. Mankind may divorce from me, but you will never divorce me. Hallelujah. Father, that which needs to happen in the spirit of these people here today and those watching online, may they be baptized in that love as their deep need crawls and calls out to your deep love. And I thank you for that. Now just go ahead and lift your hands to heaven. If you just feel this, allow that presence of Christ, the loving, you know, the Bible says that we would know the length, the breadth, the depth, the width, the love of Christ that is beyond our comprehension, that spiritual love and acceptance. In Jesus' name, let it be so, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll finish this morning with a quote from Robin, that our family put the fun in dysfunction. (laughs) I love that. Have a great day today. God bless you.